So, Father, we agree together as a church because there's people that hear this. It goes out on the Internet all over, all over this nation and other parts of the world. People listen. And so, Lord, we know that the word of the Lord is so important. And there's people out there that are really hungry because God's not really necessarily moving everywhere the way he is here in River of Life. And I know there's people out there that are really hungry. And so, Lord, I pray tonight as we speak this word, Lord, that you would come upon me with a fresh anointing and speak through me your words of life, Lord. That this word will go out as living seeds of truth that will be sown in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and watered by um, the precious Holy Spirit just to water those seeds of truth in people and cause those seeds to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, we ask you tonight also that this would go out as light shining in dark places. Lord, that the light of truth would dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy, pet doctrines, things that are traditions of men, but they're not God. It's not the word. And Lord, this will go out like a hammer to break down strongholds. It will go out as a sword that penetrates to the deepest places and cuts away what needs to go. Lord, that your word will go out and there'll be a washing of the water of the word of God, a cleansing in your people. And Father, we pray that the word of the Lord go out because the Bible talks about in Ephesians 4.11, the fivefold ministry is to help the body be brought to full maturity, unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, every joint supplying it, help us, Lord, to really be brought to maturity and that we can be a people, Lord, that can, that can handle the meat of your word. And Lord, that you would bless this word, Lord, and let everything be accomplished, your will to be done through it, that the winds of your precious Holy Spirit, Lord, will carry this seed everywhere it's supposed to go, and your holy angels will watch over it carefully to make sure every person is able to receive what they need to from this word all over the internet or however you do it. But we bless you, Lord, and we bind the enemy that would try to steal the seed like birds of the air that try to swoop down. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bind that now. You will not hinder this in the name of Jesus. But, Lord, I pray that this will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do in the fullness thereof. And we ask you to confirm your word with signs and wonders. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for agreeing with me. This is part two in a series I'm doing on covenant. You may want to jot some notes down, but listen, I really want through this series and really throughout this year, I want to, I feel led of the Lord that this year will be a year where we're preaching a lot on faith. Um, there was a few years back, I think it was 2015 in my mind is, is, remember them correctly, but we focused a lot on end-time prophecy. 2016, we focused a lot on the Hebrew roots because that was a, a subject the Holy Spirit was speaking. And if I remember about 2014, we focused a lot on prayer and the priesthood of the believer. Some of you might remember that. But um, anyway, this year, I feel a lot about faith. God's wanting to renew our minds with the word. How many knows we all need that? And as we hear the word, the Bible says it is by the preaching and the hearing of the word of God that really helps produce faith in people. And when you hear the word preached, but you hear the stories, you hear the testimonies, and you, you keep hearing the word, it really produces a tremendous amount of faith in people. And so that's where I'm coming from with this. Now I'm going to deal with the first, last week, the first part of this series, I dealt with the covenant meal. And I dealt with how God, um, you know, he's a good God, and and. He is he's wanting to bless us. And I talked about what Jesus paid for at Calvary. And I believe that the communion table is really going to be awesome, powerful in the years to come in River of Life. And also, tonight I want to deal with breakthroughs in spiritual warfare, okay? So, here's how I want to start this. This is going to be in some ways challenging for all of us. And at the same time, I think it will really bless you. Because there's people that have prayed about things. And then maybe they haven't seen in the natural what they want to see. And they're frustrated. You know, they, they look at it and they say, well, you know, I keep praying. And, but this sermon's along those lines. I believe this will really help you. Number one, the first point I really want to bring home is this. That God is a covenant-keeping God. And he's a good God. You know, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's not God. That's the devil. But Jesus has come to give us life and life abundant. And when we understand what the Bible says about God and the devil, and we understand God's nature versus the devil's nature, um, we can pray with a lot more confidence. And so here's 1 John 5, 14. I always love this scripture. 
It says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked of him. So isn't that a good scripture? Well, see, people read this by itself and say, well, how do we know we're praying the will of God? Because Jesus paid for it at Calvary. That's how you know. Why in the world would God put on Jesus the sin of the world, the, the stripes on his back for sickness, that he had to be pierced through for transgressions? He hung on a cross. The Bible says hung on a tree to be cursed. Why would God put all that on him if it wasn't his will? It doesn't even make any sense. And Jesus taught us, I'm kind of recapping from last week, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you look into heaven, you don't see sin. You don't see sickness. You don't see poverty. You don't see people oppressed by the demonic. And Jesus was trying to show us that, God, that Satan is the one that came to steal, kill, and destroy. And that he's saying, if you'll pray, pray that God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the will of God is in heaven, but that it be brought into the earth. Because what you have to understand is this. We live here in this world, and we have a sin nature. This is a sinful world, and it's under the oppression in many ways of the demonic. God's in what the Bible calls the third heaven. But in between where God is and where we are is what's called the second heaven. And that second heaven area is where principalities and powers traffic. Wickedness in the heavenlies. And many times we're praying about things and people get frustrated and they say, well, you know, I keep praying about this. But you have to understand that sometimes you can just simply pray about something and that's the end of the matter. There's other times that you're pressed into God because you're dealing with spiritual warfare. There's a difference. And hopefully by the end of this sermon, this will really help make more sense. But Jesus taught us, and this is something to really take, you know, maybe jot down, but Jesus taught us if you're going to plunder the enemy's goods, you have to bind the strong man. So we know that we're praying the will of God when we're praying for people to be saved. We know we're praying the will of God when we're praying about our lives being consecrated or that you're, you know, getting um, the sin out of your life and you're repenting and you're getting right with God. We know that's the will of God. I mean, you don't have to sit around and contemplate that. You also know it's the will of God for people to be healed and delivered. Jesus took it at Calvary. That's just the end of the matter. And you know it's the will of God that, that your needs are met. So there, there's things that we just simply know is God's will. And you have to understand that God is also a just God. Let me read these scriptures. Proverbs 6.30 Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself with hunger. But when he's found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. Think about that. So, who's the thief? Now, what did Jesus teach us? Because when Jesus came into the world... There wasn't a whole lot of information about Satan. If you read the Old Testament, you do get a glimpse. You see him in the garden, enter that serpent, and he's a tempter. You see him mentioned sometimes about his fall, and you see him mentioned here and there. But really, Jesus was really the one that began to really help us understand about spiritual warfare. Under the Hebrew culture before Jesus, they did not really understand this too much. Jesus brought a lot of revelation about this. And then after his death and resurrection, we have people like Paul and others that went more in depth with that. And of course, the book of Revelation, my goodness, I mean, that just really opens the whole thing up, doesn't it? But Jesus began to teach us because a lot of times people attribute God with negative things, and it's annoying. You know, even the insurance companies will see, you know, there'll be some tornado come through and destroy all this stuff, and people die, and all these things happen. They say, well, it's an act of God. Really? Show me that in the Bible. But Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And people blame God for all the negative stuff that's ever happened in their life. Somebody will die prematurely. Well, I guess God took them. Really? There's a car accident. Somebody's mutilated. Well, I guess God just did that. Really? See, the thing is, people need to quit blaming God for either what just simply happens or it's the devil. 
But Jesus said that it's the devil that's come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, people need to think about these words. He's a thief. He's coming to try to steal things from people. Ultimately, he wants to steal people's destiny. But he's the one that wants to destroy marriages. He wants to have families all torn to pieces. He wants to bring destruction. He wants to destroy people's reputation. He wants to cause things to happen that they cause people to lose money financially. They just really struggle. That's the devil. That's not God. In Luke 18, 4, Luke 18 talks about the persistent widow that would pray and not give up. You remember how the persistent widow kept going to that judge? He was a wicked judge. They couldn't care less about her. But he kept, she kept going to him day after day saying, give, give me justice against my adversary. And eventually in this parable, Jesus said that um, for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, she just keeps coming day in, day out, you know. I'll give her legal protection, otherwise she'll con- by her continual coming she'll wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who crowd to him day and night, and he will... Delay, he will not delay long over them. I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. That's the key. God's looking for people with faith, like Abraham. And I'm hoping that by the end of this sermon, this will make a lot more sense. In Mark 10, 28, Peter began to say to him, Behold, he's talking to Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Now, how many people have lost things in life? Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age. You may want to underline that. Because people think, well, you know, when we get to heaven. No, no. The Lord's wanting us to have faith to believe for now there to be restoration now in this life. And then he says, uh, you know, whether houses or brothers or sisters or mothers, children, farm, along with persecutions. How many of us are going to go through stuff? And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. So the Lord is trying to show us here to be persistent. That when we pray according to the will of the Lord and we look at the cross and we know that Jesus, his life, what he did on Calvary, what he paid for on Calvary, there is no doubt that's the will of God. We know his kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know what's in heaven and that that be brought into the earth. But many times people feel like they're coming up against something and and they keep praying. And maybe they'll even get a breakthrough and things will get better, but then it seems to backlash and come right back and they don't understand. It's frustrating. And Daniel 7 verse 9 says this, Daniel was looking, he said, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and his hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people, the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So you see that right here Daniel's talking about a warfare, Satan oppressing. But you're also seeing God as a, a righteous judge in heaven. That can pronounce judgment on our behalf. Now, here's where I want to transition things. Do you remember the children of Israel came out? They, they were, there was none sick or feeble among them. Um, they had wealth transfer. They were coming out of Egypt. And as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, things were, you know, it was tight. They, they were with Moses. Things, things were really tight. It seemed like... The Egyptians were pressing down on them. They were standing before the sea. It hadn't parted. You know, and God really was pouring out his judgment on the gods of Egypt. 
and the children of Israel were coming out. And as they came through the Red Sea, and they got out into the wilderness, God gave them great victory. All the Pharaoh's army was drowned in the sea, and there, here they are in the wilderness now. They come to Mount Sinai, and they see a visitation from God. I mean, the place shook like an earthquake. The top of the mountain, God had come down. It was like a burning fire. And it was a strong, loud blast of a shofar. And it was a terrifying sight. The children of Israel had an encounter with God. And during this time, though Moses went up into that cloud to spend time with God so that he could get the full, um, what's called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And as Moses goes up and disappears, the children of Israel are left down there. But they had come out of Egypt, and that's all that they ever knew was Egypt. And now they begin to contemplate over time that, well, I guess Moses is dead. So what are we going to do? And so Aaron says, well, you know, give me all your, your gold earrings and other things. And he, he ta- makes a fire. He puts all that together and he makes this golden calf. And you and I, with our greatest imagination, cannot even begin to imagine how ugly that calf really was. And, but the people as dumb and as ugly as that thing was, you know, you see it in the book and, you, and they do a real good job. This, this was some, you know, this thing looked really bad. He did his best. But they began to dance around this thing naked and worship this calf. And they're saying, you know, here's the God that brought us up out of Egypt. Where did they learn that? Where did they, the first sign of trouble they start reverting back to what? Egypt. Y'all follow me? Where did they learn to make an idol like that? Where did they learn to dance around it? To dance around it naked? To, to do all these things? Where did they learn all of this? They didn't get it from Abraham. Joseph didn't teach it to them. But as Joseph died and they, they lingered in Egypt, they began to be influenced by Egypt. And they began to take on the mindset and the ways of the Egyptians. Y'all hearing me? And when times got tough, instead of looking to the Lord that they just saw deliver them and they just saw at Sinai, instead of looking to Him, they revert back to what they have always known. I'm going somewhere with this. And if people will jot down notes and really pray about this, this is not something that just one sermon tonight is going to fix. I'm just telling you. I'll do my best. But this is something that you're going to have to pray about if you really want to, to be delivered from this completely. There's just This is something only God can do. But people learn the ways of the world much more than what they realize. People grew up their whole life in this system, this world system, the Bible calls Babylon. And we don't realize it, but how much this has affected our thinking and the way we perceive reality and the way that we handle things. And you see it in the body of Christ so much. Because right whenever people get in trouble financially, they're going to go run to a bank, take out a loan. Where'd they learn that? I know there's times that people have to do things. I understand that. But people are so quick to handle finances the way the world handles finances. Hello? When people are sick, they run to doctors and medicine. Instead of running to the Lord. Instead of really, truly meditating on the Word of God and and seeing what the Bible says and really getting that in their spirit and pressing into Him, they just simply go back and handle it the exact same way the world does. That's the way they were raised, and that's what's around them. When relationships are in trouble, they run to secular counselors and psychiatrists and things like that. Or when they have mental pressure, they run to psychiatrists. Is anybody seeing where I'm coming from? And by and large, the church world... Instead of reading what the Bible promises and really pressing into God to see it, 
the church world by and large will simply become a referral agency that if you're sick they know a good doctor if you're in trouble they know a good banker and it's just a referral agency and it's no different than the world it's a social club and it's powerless hello and that's what people expect that's what people believe what's sad is i believe that a lot of christians it's like they have misdirected faith they actually have faith that god's not going to do anything hello and they expect that the only way that you're really going to get all this out of you this world system out of you is to really humble yourself and pray and ask god to do it it's not just going to be a sermon because a lot of people even hear this and and there can be almost like a little bit of an agitation in them because there's stuff there that's getting agitated. (laughs) But if you'll let God start coming in and begin to purge all that out, ask Him. Only He can do this. Lord, forgive me where my my mentality has been so worldly. I didn't realize. I've been raised in this my whole life. My family was this way. This is all I've ever known. Just like in Egypt, the way Israel was in Egypt. Lord, forgive me for these things, but Lord, begin to take this out of me. Let my mind be totally renewed with your word. Wash my mind with your word. Help me to begin to see things through your kingdom perspective, the way you see them. And God will do it. So, here's a glimpse. What I love about the book of Daniel and Revelation is that God really opens up a glimpse into the spirit realm. In Daniel 10, verse 10, Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling upon my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words which I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. This was the angel Gabriel came to Daniel, okay? And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Now, everybody, don't read over that. Underline that. Circle that. Put some stars around it, okay? This is what the whole sermon really centers on right here. Gabriel told Daniel, on the first day that you prayed, your prayers were heard. So many people think about God that he's so distant and uncaring. But again, we're going back to the way the world views God. If I, you know, if I pray just right, if I do everything just right, if I do it so many times, if I work so hard, that's just a religious spirit. And they don't really know that God is a loving Father. And that on the first day that you pray to Him, He heard your prayers. So what happened? Because for 21 days, Daniel prayed, and he didn't seem like anything happened. So Daniel begins to fast, which fasting is awesome. But Daniel's praying and fasting, and Gabriel shows up 21 days later. And listen to what he says. Here's the glimpse that I want you to see. Now let me read what I just read, okay? On the first day that you set your heart on understanding and humbled yourself before the Lord, your words were heard. I've come in response to your words. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, or another translation, one of your princes, talking about Israel, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to you to give give you understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days of the future. So picture this. Daniel prays, and on day one, God heard his prayers. On day one, things were set in motion. Gabriel was sent. Things were set in motion. 
This is a time that if, if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord, God can already start renewing our mind to think different right here. On the day that Daniel prayed, things were set in motion that direction. But as things were moving toward the will of God, there was spiritual warfare in the second heaven where the prince of Persia and apparently other princes and powers began to attack that angel Gabriel along his way and delayed him. And so Daniel was fasting and God saw the situation and sent Michael and Michael came and broke through. I'm just telling you according to the word of God that God is a loving father and he's a good God. He's not the one that's come to destroy. And when you pray, God has heard your prayers. Because I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture where the Bible says that God hears our prayers. And God heard your prayers on the first day you prayed. Things were set in motion. They were moving that direction. And then the devil has tried to stop things in their momentum. But if people won't give up and will keep moving forward in faith, they'll see the answer. There was a woman one time that was saying that God had spoken to her very clearly about a ministry that she was called to have. And after God spoke it to her, she heard from God. She knew she did. There was no doubt. She began to move forward with this. And man, satanic attack hit. And she began to lose things. And she was in a really bad situation financially. And in pretty much every area, it's like the devil just hit. And she got so discouraged and she was frustrated. I heard from God that things are supposed to be that way and now everything is so negative. And she was sitting there having a pity party and God spoke to her and said this, if you don't get out of this pity party and you don't start speaking faith, you're going to stay here. And she got up out of that and she began to speak the word of God and believe God and began to stop having a little pity party for herself and began to declare the word of God and things automatically began to break through and God restored everything and now her ministry has broke forth. It takes faith to possess the promises of God. But many times, many times, whenever God gives promises... And you know that you've heard from God. The devil also has heard that. And the devil will try to attack. And the devil will try to resist. And things will seem to get worse before they get better. And it seems like you're going through this wilderness time. It's like God says, I, I've given you a promised land. And you're in Egypt. You're going, all right. We're going to cross this water. And in we go. Right? But next thing you know, in between you and the promised land is this desert. And the same thing happened to Jesus. When Jesus was baptized by John, it was time to start the ministry. But he goes out in the wilderness and has to face the devil for a time. God always allows that. And those that are people of faith, they'll come through it stronger and more refined. So how does Satan attack? We know that we have a destiny in God. We know that we, God's hands on us and he's wanting to use us. And, and we know that the Bible shows us very clearly it's God's will. We walk in divine health and prospers, our soul prospers and all that. But how does Satan try to resist? Well, I can tell you that Satan knows if he can get people sick, it hinders what they can do for God. He also knows that if he can attack their finances, it's hard for them to be able to give like they want to and to do the things God wants to do. And he knows that if he can attack your relationships, turn friends into enemies and cause all these problems, it makes it difficult. Those are usually the three areas. He'll attack health, finances, and relationships. But once we've prayed and believed God, things began to move forward that direction. See, people think because they, they're young in the Lord a lot of times, they don't know. But people think things are quick and easy with God, or it should be. You know, the longer you get saved, the more you realize how wrong that is. The Bible says that a thousand years is as a day with God. You need to really meditate on that scripture. I don't like any more than you. 
<laughs> but that's just the way it is. Because we're all impatient. We think, well, you know, years have passed. What's the problem? And God's going, oh, those couple seconds. But once we pray and things begin to be set in motion and they're moving that direction, the only one that can really mess things up is us. Because Satan begins to resist things and things get worse or they don't change and there's a resistance there and people get out of faith and they get into doubt, fear, and unbelief. They start having pity parties. They start cursing themselves. They start speaking... What they're saying now is in agreement with the devil and what the devil wants. And because of that, things seem to grind to a halt. But if they'll ask God's forgiveness, and they'll quit having a pity party, and they'll shake that off of them, and they'll begin once again to speak the word of God and have faith and move forward with God, God will work it out. I'm convinced, as I've prayed about many things, and some things seem to happen pretty quick. I pray about it, and man, things change. Other times, things change over a normal amount of time, if you will, you know, a couple months. But there's other things that it's going to take believing God for years. That has to do with destiny. Hello? And you've got to learn to believe God like Abraham. None of us in here prayed about something for 25 years. Until we get to year 26, we have no right to complain because the Bible is very clear that Abraham had to believe God for 25 years. And God was faithful. But what did Abraham do in the midst of it? He listened to Sarah and he looked at the situation. Someone, you know, and he, he rushed things with Ishmael. And many times people do that. They, you know, they, they want to help God. <laughs> Oh, this is actually pretty good preaching right here. This is a rabbit trail, but it's a good one. You know, they start praying. God set things in motion. God has a plan. The Bible says God's ways are higher than ours. He sees everything. He sees all the, the things that needs to be done in us for our destiny. He sees all the things that need to be done in our life. And we, he speaks to us, we believe him, we begin to move forward, and things take longer than what we think, and pretty soon people are like, hmm, well, I guess I need to help God. And some of the greatest mistakes are when we try to help God instead of just believing God, because God does not need our help. He needs our faith and our obedience. Too many people, and I know how this is, they want a testimony, but they don't want the test. They want to run around talking about the victory, but they don't want the battle. So here's the last couple things. When we pray... Our mentality has got to change. I say it's for all of us that there's too much of Egypt there. We've got to change the way we think according to the word. That God has heard us. It is set in motion. We've got to stay in agreement with that. Otherwise, even though we don't mean to, we're believing that God is a liar. His word is not true. He's not faithful to his word. He's not hearing us, all that stuff. None of that's true. That's just, that goes on in between our ears. The enemy's trying to tell you that. But God has heard our prayers. God is, it's moving forward. It's set in motion. We've got to stay in agreement with that. Is this making sense? So David had to believe God. But here's what I want to close with these two points. You've got to get the battle strategy. See, when I pray about something now, there was a time I, I was frustrated with God and things like, just like every, every Christian's gone through that. There's not a Christian alive that hadn't had a time where they were going, what's the problem? You know, everybody's done that. But you grow up and you learn 
God's never the problem. He's the best friend you got, man. You better learn his ways and be in agreement with his ways. And you grow up out of that. But you've got to get a battle strategy. Once you pray about something, you know that you know. I I know this now. I know that God's already heard me. Things have already been set in motion. I live inside of what's known as time. You know, right now it's like 840 or whatever. And it's, it's like I live in time. I live in this world. I'm stuck in this reality right now. God's outside of all of that. God heard my prayers, man. Things are set in motion, that direction, answering my prayers. I need to just stay in agreement with that. But whenever things are not changing, instead of having some weird unbiblical view, I'm saying, God, give me battle strategies. Help me discern what's going on so I can stay in agreement with you. How do we defeat the enemy? Because the enemy's trying to resist us. The enemy's the one trying to hinder the prayers. I'm in agreement with you and your word. I just want to know, give me strategy. Help me see what you see. And that's just like Luke 18.1. Jesus told his disciples that parable about the persistent widow that they should pray and not give up. And look at this. In 2 Samuel 5.17, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, um, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. And the Philistines came up and spread themselves over the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? See, David was smart. David knew that God was for him and that God would answer his prayers. He knew all of that, but he wanted battle strategies. How, Lord, how do we do this? What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to David, go up, I'll certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to a place that he named Baal-perazim and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken out through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore, he named that place Baal-perazim. They abandoned their idols there and David and his men carried them away. Now, this was the first battle. David won this battle. Now, listen, instead of David being presumptuous, The Philistines came again, verse 22, and spread themselves over the valley of Rephaim. Again, David inquired of the Lord and said, uh, and the Lord told him, don't go directly up like you did last time. Is everybody hearing me? Look at this. Don't go like you did last time. This time, I want you to circle around behind them and come in front of the trees, the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you will act promptly for the Lord has gone out before you to strike the Philistines. And David did so just as the Lord had commanded him and struck down the Philistine, uh, Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So we need battle strategies. Your battle strategies are your prayer assignments. It's where you spend time with God and you say, Lord, I'm believing you for this. I know you've already heard me. I'm not going to be foolish and sit around thinking that you didn't hear me. I know you heard me. And I, felt, I know things are already moving forward. But there's such a resistance. And I'm not seeing all of it yet. Lord, give me battle strategies. What enemy is at work and why? How do I pray? How does this get dismantled? And the next thing is this. Elisha and the spiritual vision through prayer... Him and Gehazi were at home cooking, you know, like some flapjacks or something, right? And there they are having breakfast. And all of a sudden, the enemy starts showing up. And all these, they're seeing all these enemies. And Elisha is just as calm as can be. And Gehazi is really getting nervous because, I mean, think about it. Elisha is an old man. And then there's Gehazi. And then there's a huge army of our men. And so Gehazi's thinking, oh, we're dead. And he's getting really nervous. And Elisha's trying to tell him, hey, there's more for us than against us. And you know as well as I do, Gehazi's thinking, one, two. No, there's, you know, we're outnumbered. And so what does Elisha do? Elisha prays over Gehazi's eyes. 
I imagine that Elisha leaned over and put his hand on Gehazi like this and prayed over his eyes that God would open his eyes. And when Gehazi looked the second time, he saw all these angels that were on horses and had chariots, and they were all around. He didn't see them before, but they were everywhere. And then Gehazi understood, man, there's a lot more for us than against us. And Elisha just simply prayed, and that enemy, they were struck with blindness, and Elisha just walked out there and grabbed the lead horse and marched him right into Israel. So the point is that God has already, when people have prayed about things, health, finances, or whatever it is, God has already heard your prayers. Things are already set in motion. Okay, things are moving that direction. That's already happened. And if things haven't changed in the natural, what we need to be seeking God is, God, open my eyes. Just like Daniel. There's something, Daniel's prayers were heard. Gabriel was sent on day one. But the prince of Persia, that principality, resisted it. And God is trying to show us something here that if we would believe him and stay in faith, but we'll get battle strategies and vision. Lord, why are we not seeing this? How do I pray? Show me, Lord, so that my prayers can be powerful, so we can get the breakthrough. And once your mind gets renewed to the word of God, you start understanding Instead of having pity parties and, and doing all the things that, that people do when they're young in the Lord, once we get beyond all that, start growing up in God, and we start understanding God's for us, not against us. He's the best friend we got. These promises in God's word are true. Who am I to ever doubt God? Look, God said it, I believe it. Now let's move forward. I've already prayed about this. And when there's resistance, we're saying, God, there's resistance. Why? Open my eyes. I'm going to seek you. Show me what I need to see. Show me the battle plan here. How do we get beyond this? And people will get the victory that way. But here's what Satan's goal is. Satan would love to get people upset with God. There's actually people that have walked away from the faith that are now devout atheists or whatever they are because, you know, they didn't get their little way in their timing that they thought. They prayed about something and, you know, that Satan won that battle. Satan would also love to get people depressed with ourselves because we're not perfect. Because it takes time for God to refine us and change us. If people get too focused on themselves and their imperfections, but you know what? God's a lot more patient with us sometimes than we are ourselves. Amen? God's not like us. He doesn't have a sinful nature. He's not impatient. Okay? He's not, the Bible says he's slow to anger, rich in love. And we believe the word. He's merciful. You know, he's for us, not against us. He's trying to help us out. Also, what Satan would love is for people to give up and get into unbelief. They prayed. They know that God heard them. They're moving forward. Things are actually moving that direction. But along the way, it took too long for them. And at some point in time, they said, you know what? Forget it. And they quit believing God and they just get into unbelief. And it's like at that point, everything starts grinding to a halt. Or they would, God, uh, Satan would love to get people into doubt and, um, or doubt and fear. Fear paralyzes people. You know, the children of Israel were standing there. You know, think about it. Finally, they crossed the Red Sea approximately nine months, you know, from Sinai all the way to Canaan. This was around nine months that all this happened. They're standing there, man. It's time to take the promised land, but they allowed the fear. They saw those Nephilim. They, they really were giants in the land. And they saw these beings that were really large and scary, and they got afraid. You know, fear will do that to people. And they didn't want to go forward. Or people get into doubt. All I can do is pray that this really makes sense, because... 
all of us, me included, we've, we've gone, we've had so much of this world system in handling things ourselves and handling it the way the world has for so long, for God to get all that out of us and to totally change the way we think, our perception of reality. Like Gehazi, that our eyes begin to be open, we begin to see the spiritual battle. Like David, we really lean into the Lord and he gives us battle strategies. And we understand the ways of God. We understand his word that, that you know, God is for us and things are moving that direction. We've got to stay in agreement with that. It's just like the winds. If Whenever you're out sailing, you have got to set your sail and turn it to where it's going to catch the wind. If you're trying to go against the wind, it's going to be a struggle. And once you pray, you have got to set your sail to be in agreement with the Bible. Quote scriptures, believe God. Now I'm going to tell you, because people hear stuff like this and they say, I want to be somebody that lives by faith. Great, I do too. But there's going to be times that that means that God's going to tell you to do stuff and step out in faith. Like Peter, you're going to have to step out on the boat, out of the boat onto the water. See, Peter, here's how it worked. Everybody says Peter walked on water, which he did. But really, truthfully, he was walking on the word of the Lord. Does this make sense? Yes, he was on water. I get that. He's walking on water, no doubt. But when Jesus told him, come, that word that Jesus spoke caused that word, the word of the Lord, caused his feet to stay on top of that water. And as long as Peter stayed focused on Jesus and was in faith, everything was fine. But whenever Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and off of the word of Jesus and he started looking at everything else, he got scared, down he goes. But Jesus is awesome and merciful. Jesus goes over there and says, I got you. Picks him back up. That's Jesus. All right. So Jesus paid for our total victory at Calvary. And whenever you read the Bible, and you see many times in the Greek, you see the word saved, salvation, for it's with the heart man believes, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you see that word saved. The word there many times, most of the time, is the Greek word sozo. And the Greek word sozo means these seven things. It's right here. It means save, heal, deliver, preserve, prosper, make to do well, and to make whole. Now, if you'll catch this, I'll give you a little nugget, the meat of the word as I close. The name of Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua is from a root word, Yasha. Okay? That's the Hebrew counterpart to this word. So basically, this word, Sozo, or in Hebrew, Yasha, it is everything that Jesus paid for at Calvary, all wrapped up in one word. Is this making sense? And so whenever the Bible says, believe and you'll be saved, it's not just saying that you'll be forgiven of your sin. It's saying if you'll believe in the Lord, that you'll be saved. It's saying that you will be, yes, forgiven of your sin, but healed, delivered, prospered, made to do well, preserved, made whole. It's saying if you'll believe in the salvation of the Lord, it's all of that at Calvary. It was all wrapped up there. So let's close by praying this, okay, if you guys agree with me. And those that are listening, we'll shut down the recordings in just a moment. Those that are hearing this, I can tell preaching something like this, there's no way that one sermon, maybe over the course of this year, many, many sermons, maybe over a length of time, could really help to fully dismantle strongholds like this. But this is stuff that only God can do. And Lord, I just pray tonight. Lord, we, we all come together. Everybody's listening to this too. Lord, we ask forgiveness for 
how much of the world has gotten into all of us. The way we think, the way we perceive reality, and the way we handle things. When times get tough, how we've turned to the same ways the world does. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for this in our lives. Well, there's a higher way. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us. And I ask you for the grace, Lord, that you begin to dismantle these mental strongholds. For the Apostle Paul said um, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and bringing every thought captive making it obedient to Christ. It's a mental battle of having our minds renewed with the Word of God. Lord, forgive us for the areas in our minds and our emotions, the way we perceive reality that has been just like the world. Though we've all gone through the educational system in America and maybe others outside this country, you went through your educational system, but we've been indoctrinated by the world and the ways of the world, the media, the entertainment industry, there's so much that's influenced us. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness, but that you would begin to really purge out of us all of these worldly ways, Lord, and help us to come in agreement with your word and, and, and live a true life of faith. Because in that, I believe as we do, just like Abraham, Abraham began to really come into financial prosperity. He had a long, healthy life. And every area of his life was blessed. But it was because he believed God and he stayed in faith. And Lord, help us like our father Abraham in the faith. Lord, that we are also able to have every area of our life blessed because we're in faith according to your word, Lord. And help our lives to line up with your word. We thank you. You are a good God. And you loved, you so loved the world that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, you are so wonderful that you were willing to endure so much abuse. It was horrible at the hands of evil, wicked men to endure what you did, Jesus, for our healing, our deliverance, our victory. And Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God. And Satan is the one that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is the one that's resisting things and is against us. But we know that you're for us. And so, Lord, I pray tonight, help us, help this sermon, Lord, to really go forth and bear fruit and that there'll be great faith because of this sermon in people's lives. Lord, help us to begin to change the way we think. Not presumption and pride, but, Lord, a true, humble faith in your word and who you are, your nature. Lord, we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray.